Well, here we are. We're entering into week five of our series, The Last Supper on the Moon, and we're we'll talking about what to do when you're afraid. Last week, we talked about the amazing miracle when Jesus fed around 20,000 people with some loaves of bread and some fish. And here we are today. Jesus is reaching the height of his popularity. And people are flocking to him. And they all realize this is the Messiah. And he began, Jesus began to realize they, were, they have some other things up their sleeves. They have some other motives. They want to push me into the throne by force. And so he withdrew from the crowd. And then we find our story today in John chapter 6, beginning in verse 16, which reads, When evening came, his disciples went down to the lake where they got into a boat and set off across to the lake of Capernaum. By now it was dark and Jesus had not yet joined them. A strong wind was blowing and the waters grew rough. And when they had rowed about three or four miles, they saw Jesus approaching the boat and wa walking on the water. And they were frightened. But he said to them, it is I, don't be afraid. Then they were willing to take him into the boat. And immediately, immediately the boat reached the shore where they were heading. As I said... Jesus was reaching the height of his popularity. He, in a lack of other words, was becoming famous. You know, for the astronauts, for the space program that we've been kind of using through this series, from the very beginning, they were in this love-hate relationship with doctors. Because they were preparing to go on to a mission into a very unforgiving environment. And there were many things that they were about to face that could bring them, to, bring them death. They knew that. They were leading that. They were taking that charge. And the doctor's job was, their role was to find, what are those things? Can we prevent those things? And they were constantly coming up with other ideas and new ways that, hey, this could kill the astronaut. This will put their lives in danger. And so as you saw in the video, they would put the astronauts through all these different tests to see how their bodies held up. And we know the doctors were just trying to do good, trying to protect them, trying to help them. But there were thousands and hundreds of ways that they could have died. And the astronauts knew that. And the one thing that the, all the astronauts said was they were so prepared for their mission. But the one thing that they were not prepared for, the one thing no one thought about what would happen, is if the mission is successful, when they come back home, and instantly they're thrust into the limelight, into the fame, into the success. What then? You see, here's something we need to understand, my friends. Success brings a level of fame, and fame brings opportunities, and it also brings complexity in our lives. And there's a bittersweet truth about being famous. It creates problems, it creates complexity in our relationships and attention that we constantly need to be managing. Now hear me out for a moment, because you're probably wondering, where in the world are you going, Bill? But I believe, listen to me guys, I believe that a part of God's plan for your life and my life is to some extent bring upon us a level of notoriety, a level of fame. In its most basic understanding, to be famous is to be known by a lot of other people. That's what that means. And in some small way, God's plan for your life is to bring some notoriety to you. Because as you walk with Jesus, as you serve others through Jesus, you begin to separate yourselves from the majority of the world. Opportunities begin to come to be his light 
In Proverbs 22, it's written, Do you see someone skilled in their work? They will serve before kings. They will not serve before officials of low rank. When you allow yourself to use your skills to serve Jesus and to serve others through Jesus, opportunities of notoriety will open up. We see this all throughout the Bible. For example, all the way in the Old Testament, we saw King Saul. He was king over all of Israel, and he had a bad, stinking attitude a lot of times. And to help him with his poor attitude, he wanted some good music. You like that too. When you're in the car driving down the parkway and everybody's cutting you off and there's, there's traffic all backed up and you just want to yell at every person you come in contact with, what do you like to do? Flip on some good classical music, right? It's hard to be mad when you listen to classical music. And that's exactly what Saul was thinking. I need some good old classical music. I need a harp player. Who's the best harp player in the world? And there was this young boy by the name of David. David loved music. He loved writing music. He loved playing music. And all of his music was focused on God and his relationship with God. But word got to King Saul, there's this guy, this, there's this boy by the name of David. He's the best harp player in the land. And before you knew it, this young boy who was a nothing in a world of nothings found himself playing his harp for the king of all of Israel. See, when you use your skills and gifts to serve God, doors of opportunity begin to open up. And so whatever your skill is, if you just think, okay, God, what have you gifted me with? What am I good at? What skills do I have? God, use me. Use my gifts. Use my talents. Let me honor you with everything that I do. Let me walk with integrity. And when you do that, I promise you, God will bless you. And God will open up doors and opportunities to just pour out more blessings of generosity to others with your gifts and other ways. God will open up opportunities as you serve him and serve others through him. And more that you give, the more you will gain. It's written in Proverbs 11, one person gives freely yet gains even more. Another withholds unduly but comes to poverty. The more you live a life of generosity, not just in the area of finances, but the in, in the area of your giftedness and your talents and who you are, the more the doors that God will open up for you to reveal something about who he is in you. Because God desperately desires, listen to me friends, God's heart and desire is to position you and me and all of us so that we can stand in front of others to showcase who he is in us. That's his plan. That's his desire. That's his heart. And that's why it's so important in your job, in your life, in your academics, in whatever you do in your Monday through Friday, that you be a person who uses your skills and your talents to serve with integrity. I won't cut corners. I will, I will go above and beyond what's asked of me. So that when others see me doing my day-to-day -day stuff, they will see there's something different here. There's something different here. And my friends, these principles work. 
We see them all throughout the Bible, and you can go through all throughout history. You can see it when you apply these principles into your life. <clears throat> people will notice. People will see you. People will see there is something different here. It will bring opportunities to you when you apply these. It will bring notoriety. And through that, it gives you the opportunity for you to live in such a way that you point everybody that you come to contact with, it's Jesus, it's not me. It's Jesus working in me and through me. And just like what Paul wrote in Philippians 2, when you live that way, it gives you the opportunity to shine like the stars in heaven. That's what Paul wrote. In Philippians 2, when you walk as blameless and pure, when you use your gifts and your talents to serve and honor God and serve others through him, when you walk in a way of integrity, that you are not a person that cuts corners or looks for the easy way out, I am willing to walk the hard road so that other people see God in me. And can I just give you a quick news flash, my friends? If you're shining brightly in a dark world, people are going to see you. People will notice. It's hard not to see the light when everything else is dark. You will shine. But here's the bittersweet side to it. Let's just be honest, guys. We're all humans. And the more those opportunities of success come, the more the opportunity that the success goes to our head. And integrates into our heart. And then the more we become successful in our life, in our world, the more we forget it's God who brought us here. And the more we forget that what this is all about. And the more we tend to use our own success for our own glory, for our own gain, for our own purposes. And we get full of ourselves. My friends, being successful is dangerous because we allow it to get to our heads. And I think that maybe that's where the disciples were right now in this moment. Jesus was at the height of his popularity. And I think that maybe after he fed the 20,000 plus people, he knew the disciples are in danger. They're in danger. Because Jesus saw the hearts of all the people there. He knew what they were focused on. He knew what, he wanted, what they wanted to do. He knew, hey, they were all chanting, Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. And the crowd was going. Everybody was, all the hoopla was happening. And they all wanted to get Jesus into the throne. Let's rock, let's, let's ride out all the Roman rule. Now's our time. Revolution is here. And I can only imagine 20,000 people, more people at a Pirates game. And everybody's chanting and hollering, going crazy. And Jesus starts to look at his disciples, and they're going, yeah, it's party time. And he's like, get them out of here. We need to go now. Because everybody's chanting, the mob is forming, and he perceived the problem that was happening. So Jesus broke away to be in tune with the Spirit. He knew, I can't allow the wave of the crowd to pull me away from what my focus is supposed to be. I need to get away from this stuff. And I just need to go be with the Spirit. To stay grounded, I just need to be with God. That I can trust Him more. 
and have a relationship with him. And I think Jesus got himself and the disciples out of there. Because the other, the other um, gospel accounts of the story, it says that Jesus actually put the disciples in the boat and sent them off. I can only imagine just like Jesus like throw them in there. Go! Get out of here now! Don't even look at those people! They're nuts! They're crazy! Go! And then he went up to the mountainside to pray. Because I think Jesus realized something that maybe we forget. We're all weak. We're all weak. And I bet if I was in that crowd, if I was one of those disciples, I probably would have struggled with the same thing. You know what? Party time. Let's follow the crowd. Let's go celebrate. Our revolution has come. But Jesus saw the bigger picture. And he pulled away to pause, to pray, to be with the Father, to be with the Spirit. And here's something crazy about here. He put his disciples into the boat and sent them off, and he went alone to pray. And you have to know and believe Jesus, who knew all things, knew a storm was coming. He knew that the disciples were drifting into a terrible storm while he sent them off and walked up to the mountain to pray. Jesus, I think in that moment, what I see here is that he was more concerned with the attention of the people than the storm that was about to come. Think about that for a moment. He was more concerned about the attention of the people than the storm they were about to face. My friends, the more, there is more danger in the favor of the crowd than the fury of the storm. People who pull us away from what our focus really should be. And myself included, we tend to get so freaked out about the storms we are facing. Maybe we should be a little bit more concerned about the wave of popularity that surrounds us. About the attention that other people tend to give. Because if we live by that attention, we will die by that attention. It will pull us down. And so Jesus got himself and the disciples away from 20,000 people. And he went to a place of solitude. Jesus was not fooled by the crown of success. Because he knew this crown they're trying to give me, it's not real. It does not last. Today they'll be celebrating. Tomorrow they're going to try to put me on that cross. It won't last. That's not my goal. There's something bigger here. Jesus knew that he could please all the people, but he would fail the mission at the same time. My friends, we are not called to be people pleasers. We are not called to ride the wave of popularity or where everybody else is going because we can please all the people around us, but in so doing, we then fail the mission. These people were offering him what the devil was offering Jesus when he was led away to be tempted in the desert, a crown without the cross. And Jesus knew there was something bigger here. And my friends, hear me out on this. Not every opportunity in life is from God. That's why we need to be in tune with the Spirit. That's why Jesus pulled away from the crowd to go to the mountain to hang out with the Father. Not every opportunity that comes your way is from God. And we struggle identifying that because we're not in tune with the Spirit of God. And at some point, we just need to pull away 
from the crowd that's around us to see him, to be with him. And here Jesus was. He allowed his disciples to face one storm to escape something that he saw was more dangerous, the wave of popularity. And there he was on the mountainside praying. Here's a hard truth, guys. Sometimes Jesus, Jesus allows storms into our life so that we can be more developed in him. That's the hard truth. That's the truth I struggle with, and maybe you do too. And I think Jesus was allowing his disciples to drift into that storm because in that moment, in that moment, he saw something in them that needed to be developed. In that moment, he saw they needed greater strength. They needed more ability to trust him, to trust that God's got a plan. You know, here they are, the height of the popularity, and when we gain success, what happens? As we gain success in our workplace, in our world, we start to think, I did this, I got this, I'm in control. And I think that maybe Jesus was thrusting them into the storm so they can quickly realize, hey, guess what? You have no control whatsoever. Nothing that just happened was because of you. You don't got this, but I do. And I think that's what Jesus was thrusting them in to see. And here the disciples were in the middle of the storm. And all of a sudden, instantly, they start to get overwhelmed. He just brought them through all these miracles. They saw God work in some of the hardest situations. And now here they are, stuck in this boat in the middle of the storm. And I wonder, friends, if, if you're like me, when you're stuck in your boat, in your storm, whatever that is for you, what begins to happen? I, I can only imagine what the disciples were thinking in that moment. Maybe they started shouting out to God, being disappointed with God, stressing about what is about to happen, accusing God. You said you would be here, and you're nowhere here. You're nowhere near me. Where are you? And here's a struggle. When storms come our way, we get this level of forget forgetfulness. And there's a significant danger in that. Because we begin to forget what God has done. Think about it. The disciples just saw him feed 20,000 people with some fish and bread. He saw that Jesus do, they saw Jesus do some significant miracles, raising people from the dead, healing some uh, amazing sicknesses. And here they are stuck in the storm and everything was forgotten. Because all they knew right now, we're in danger. We've got nothing. Well, they forgot everything at that exact moment. And they're in the middle of the storm with those 12 baskets of overload that from the feedings. And still, they forgot. Mark 6 account of the story says, For they had not understood about the loaves. Their hearts were hardened. I think what we wrestle with, friends, that no matter what God has done in our life up to this point, sometimes when the storms come, we struggle with a level of forgetfulness and our hearts get hardened. We forget everything that God has done and our hearts get hardened to the point to where we're like, he can't come through, he's no longer here, he's, he's not there for us, where, where is he? 
And sometimes the storm swift sweeps us away. And it gets, causes us to forget the bigger truth. The reality of the power of Jesus' presence. The reality that he is there. To the disciples, Jesus was nowhere around. Jesus was not there for them. But from Jesus' perspective, don't miss this, friends. From Jesus' perspective, he was on the mountainside in full view of them. He saw them the whole time. They never left the glimpse of his eye, and he was praying for them the whole entire time. Let me tell you a promise that you need to hear, friends. If you're in your boat, if you're in a storm right now, understand this. You may be struggling like the disciples, questioning God, accusing God, saying, God, you're not here. When all reality, he's on the mountain in full view of you. And he is praying to the Father for you and he's fighting for you. And he walks down. He walks down from the mountain and he begins to walk across the waters, waves splashing, going high, and the winds are throwing all around, and the disciples see him. And they became afraid. Who is that? Their forgetfulness caused them to even forget the reality of his presence, that he's there. But here he is standing in the middle of a storm. And they're like, Who are you? In verse 20, it says, Jesus said to them, It is I. Don't be afraid. And then they were willing to take him into the boat. And immediately the boat reached the store, shore where they were heading. It doesn't say the storm ever stopped. But he rode them through the storm. And while Jesus was standing there, the picture that, that just is ingrained in my mind of the story as Jesus was standing there, the storm is raging all around him. And all around the storm, in the center of the storm, is just this presence of peace. He says, it is I. You know the Greek word that's actually used there, it is I? Jesus actually said, when they said, who is it? He said, I am. You remember that name? Go back to the Old Testament. It's the same name when Moses was at the burning bush. And he says, God, there's no way I can do this. Who will be with me? And God gives him the powerful name, I am. It's the same name that when Jesus was arrested, he said, I am. And it made all the Roman officials fall to the ground. The powerful name of God himself standing in the middle of the storm. He's saying, I am. I am peace. I am your strength. I am your comfort. I am your way. Will you just trust me? You can't control this storm, but I got this. I got this. Think about this, my friends, for a moment. The one who created everything that is has his eyes on you. Whatever storm you are in, or whatever storm you're about to drift into, do not forget the reality of God's presence in your life. And in your storm, 
I think God wants you to know that yes, you don't have control of this, but he does. You don't got this, but he's got this. He's got this. And there is no storm that can defeat you when you have the power and the presence of God himself by your side. Will you trust him? Just keep walking. Just keep moving forward. Trust in his faithfulness. Don't forget what he's done for you because he's fighting for you. Let's pray. Father in heaven, I praise you and I thank you of how good you are. And Lord, in this moment, may we just seek you. May we just come to you. Lord, I know for me, I struggle with it. When things are successful and everything's going well, I'm jumping around, I'm hooting and hollering, I'm celebrating with the crowds. But Lord God, that causes so often for me to forget, it's not me, it's you. Lord, help us just to find our place of solitude where we can connect with you and your spirit. That we can, we can uh, discern when opportunities come, if it's you calling or if it's just our heart that's trying to push us. And Lord, when we're in the boat in the middle of our own storm, may we realize that, yes, we don't have control of it. But Lord, you've got this. You are always taking care of us. And may we trust you fully. In your name we pray, amen.